Welcome to Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. I'm actually really excited for this episode today, Mark. So you're not excited for all of them? I mean, most of them I am. I mean, I wasn't really excited for that half an hour where you compared yourself to an income statement. Well, I think that's stretching things a bit, mate, but point taken. Next time I talk about a financial statement as an analogy, I'll be prepared for what? It's been like two years of ridicule now? (laughs) Okay. And anyway, why don't you tell everyone why you're excited for this episode? Okay. So this is going to be one of my favorite episodes because one of our uh, listener favorite episodes was when we talked about how to create a goals-based portfolio. And today is a good extension of that episode. I I think that was a good episode as well. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite episodes because we all believe that investing is about picking individual shares and ETFs. But in reality, that is only one component and not even really a necessary one. We invest to achieve goals. And the largest influence on if we achieve our goals is knowing the return needed to get there and selecting an asset allocation that has a reasonable chance of achieving those returns. An asset allocation is a huge driver of returns, far more than security selection. You're trying to get an 8% return a year, and you allocate 90% of your portfolio to cash, you just aren't going to get there, no matter how great of a stock picker you are. And this is about framing risk appropriately. We're sold on the notion that risk is when your portfolio goes down in the short term, but in reality, risk is not achieving the return you need to reach your goal over the long term. Which you've been quite vocal about and something that you said that you counseled a lot of your friends on. I do. Uh, Many of my friends are so wary of the risk of investing in the share market that they keep the vast majority of their savings in cash, which feels safe, but makes it next to impossible to achieve long-term goals. Okay. So today we have a guest episode, Shani, another Mm -hmm. one. So this is our fourth, maybe? Our third, I think. Okay. And we have Matt Weicha. And so Matt is the chief investment officer of Morningstar Investment Management for AsiaPAC. Which makes him kind of a big deal. Yes, it does. So among other things, Matt and his team are responsible for setting our long-term and shorter-term expectations for the returns of different asset classes. So this should be a fascinating conversation about how investors should incorporate this into their financial plans. And please go back and listen to our episode on goals-based portfolio construction. But the 10-second summary is that we encourage everyone to set goals and be specific about when you want to achieve it, how much you'll need to achieve it, and how much you expect to save. That'll allow you to calculate the return you need to achieve that goal, which means that you'll have the basis for selecting the right mix of asset classes to get that return. All right. So with that background, why don't we just jump into the interview, Shani? So we are continuing our series of having guests onto the podcast, and we've got a really exciting one today. So I'm very pleased to welcome Matt Weicha, who is the Chief Investment Officer for Morningstar Investment Management in Asia Pacific. And Matt, so we have lots of titles in this industry, and I think we all know what they mean, but a lot of listeners don't. So what is a Chief Investment Officer? What do you do day to day? I mean, what, what is your job? Well, thanks for having me on, Mark. And um, it's a very good question. Uh, I, I guess 
in principle, I, I manage the investment team here in, in uh, Sydney and, and I have some staff in, in Japan and, and India as well. Um, and we, I mean, my, my day-to-day role is really helping that team uh, make better investment decisions. And so, um, you know, we spend lots of time thinking about portfolios that we run, thinking about the research that we do. And, and I've got lots of very smart people in the team, way smarter than me. And, and it's really about you know, my experience and bringing that to bear and, and thinking about things maybe in different ways, helping them make better decisions. So that, that, that's kind of the key part of my role. I manage a portfolio myself. It's, it's quite an unconstrained portfolio. So um, we get to, to do lots of interesting things there and I, I leverage all the research that my team does as part of that. And, and of course, um, supporting clients, doing webinars, uh, things like that, you know, going out and meeting my clients, understanding what, what, uh, what uh, interests them and, and, and how, they, uh, uh, you know, how, how they're feeling about what we do as an investment team and making sure that we're doing all the right things for them as well. Okay, great. And we'll get into a little bit of the investment side in a second, but mm-hmm. Matt was actually recently featured in the AFR and we have it hanging in our kitchen. I don't know if that's embarrassing to you. It's very embarrassing. But it goes through, <laughs> it goes through your background a little bit. But for everyone else who hasn't read that profile, how did you get to this role? What's been your career path so far? I think I, I said in that, uh, that article, and, and, and I'll say it again, I don't know how I ended up here sitting here talking to you now, Mark, as, as the Chief Investment Officer at uh, Morningstar. Um, it certainly was a, is probably a non-traditional path to, to this type of role. I guess I started out my career in the financial markets. Uh, I was an options trader. And um, you know, that gave me a great introduction into asset pricing, albeit of uh, uh, something complex derivative that not many people really understand, um, but it gave me a really good handle on risk and those sorts of things. But it's also very, it was a very narrow type uh, role. You know, there, there's, you know, lots of maths and, and not very exciting things like that, that that I had to engage with on a daily basis. Um, and I managed kind of big portfolios you know, with my team. You know, I was only the junior member of the team in those days, but you know, for banks and other types of firms. And I did that in Sydney, you know, London and Tokyo as well. I spent some time there. But really, I've, you know, I think the key part of, of my career, I, I pivoted for a while and, and left the financial markets. I went back to university and, and did lots of I tell everyone I tried to use the other side of my brain for a while. I, I did lots of philosophy and things like that. Um, and that really set me up for kind of to think differently and really deal much better with the gray areas. And you find that in investing that everything is gray. I think anyone that uh, there, there's often a false precision uh, to what people do. And, and actually, there's much more gray around the edges. And so I think it sets me up for my role now, having gone and spent some time out of the markets and done different things for a little while. Um, and it all ties together in this role uh, that I, you know, I, I kind of navigated this path of doing a few different things. Um, but you know, when you think about, well, Matt managed risk in, in the past and he thinks about things a little bit differently, it, 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 they really all tie together. Um, and I guess that's why Morningstar employed me. Um, uh, yeah, it's hard uh, to that, tell that, always, right? <laughs> that, that, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, everything I've, I've done in my career, I can kind of piece together and say, okay, well, I understand why I'm here right now. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. 
Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. Stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager. Integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight, Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. Okay, great. So let's move into a little bit of the investing side of things. So in the intro to this episode, and then throughout the different episodes we've had on Investing Compass, we always talk about the importance of a goals-based approach. And we, of course, encourage listeners to define their goals, figure out what return they need to achieve them. And then that goes into asset allocation, which gives you a chance of achieving those goals. So sort of central to this and central to asset allocation is expected future returns for different asset classes, that mix you want to have in your portfolio. So that's something that you guys do that Morningstar Investment Management does. So what is the process for estimating those future returns that we'd get from different asset classes? Yeah. So, I mean, it's fundamental to everything we we do is understand or getting a, a handle on what we think, you know, the intrinsic value, the fair value, as it were, of an asset is. And so by an asset, I'm talking about a, you know, a stock or a group of stocks more likely for what we're doing, you know, the Australian equities asset class, for example, or bonds or, or even a currency property, listed property, for example. Um, so, so when I talk about assets, and that, that's what I'm talking about here. And, and we want to get an understanding of, well, what do we think is a fair return, a, a fair value um, that we can achieve from from this asset, um, you know, Australian equities over the the long term, you know, really ultra long term, the next fifty years. And if you look, for example, um, at U.S. equities, if you look back in history, they've delivered about a nine percent return per annum. That includes inflation, um, and you know, so we'd say you know a fair return for U.S. equities is probably about nine percent. And then we 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 kind of peel back the layers and we say, okay, well. Um, you know, how do, how do we get to that fair return? And it really comes down to what I'm going to call fundamentals. And that's really the, you know, the cash flows from a business, how they, how a business, um, you know, returns capital to shareholders. And so, you know, you get dividends and you get buybacks. Um, buybacks very prevalent in the US, less so here, but in Australia, but, but there are buybacks quite often uh, in Australia. But Dividends, you know, how the, what's the dividend and and buyback? What's that cash flow yield that you're going to get, you know, from a company into the future? And and then how's the company or the 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 asset class able to grow those cash flows, grow those uh, um, those dividends and buybacks, as it were, for the equities for equity markets? And and so you come up with you know what we think is a, a fair rate of return uh, into the the long term. Uh, and then we look at, okay, well, what's the starting point now? So valuation comes into it. And if we, we say, well, we think that that uh, actually Australian equities or US equities, whatever it might be, have be, either been over or under earning for a period of time uh, against the, those uh, fundamentals. And so we think that, and, and the price has now gone up above where we think it should be or below where we think it should be. And and, and we'll come up with a fair value. Uh, uh, expected return, and so that might be well. We think the long-term return for uh, U.S. equities, including inflation, is say nine percent. 
but at this point in time, because it's done X, Y, and Z, we think that uh, actually now you're only going to get about a, a two or three or six percent return, d- d- depending on the the environment that we're in. Okay, so let's start long term, and then yep. we'll talk about right now and where mm-hmm. you see opportunities. So you know, if we look if we look long term. And I think you guys put together a twenty-year, twenty-year mm. um, projection of returns. So you've actually got a slightly higher return for Aussie equities than U.S. equities over that period. Yep. What drives that? So, for Aussie equities, as an Australian investor, there is a tailwind that you get from franking credits. So, so you would expect, as an Australian-based investor, um, that you can pick up. From you know the tax benefits effectively that you get from investing uh, in Australian equities through franking credits through the the dividends that you 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 receive um, that you will get some tailwind above and beyond all other global equities. That doesn't necessarily mean at any particular point in time that's a better or worse opportunity. We factor that into all of our expected returns, um, but that's why you've got a slightly higher long term return for Australian equities relative to U.S. equities. Okay, great and. One sort of last question before we get into current opportunities. Mm. You know, we have, and one of the things that that we talk about is a strategic asset allocation. Mm. So that's really looking at sort of the, I guess, long-term asset allocation that you guys are aiming for, but then there's this tactical asset allocation, right? And that's based on attractiveness, right? At the current point in time. So- I guess, you know, what is attractive to you guys now? Is there areas of the market, whether that's an asset class or a country that you think is more attractive right now and things you don't think are attractive? Yeah. And and it's very interesting because the, the portfolio that I run doesn't actually have a, a strategic asset allocation. It's completely unconstrained. And so really you're trying to, exactly as you say, find the best opportunities for the risk that you think you need to take. Um, so you're really trying to think, you know, not necessarily being tethered to a strategic asset allocation in this in in that environment, you're thinking, okay, well, how am I going to be rewarded for the risk uh, that I take in any position? And you do that also with a strategic asset allocation, but you have to keep that SAA, as I'll call it, in mind. Um, and so, where we think the opportunities are now, um, we think Australia is not a bad opportunity, like relative to to recent past. You know, we think there's about yeah, you know, not including inflation above inflation, we think you're going to earn about two, two and a half percent over the next ten years per annum um, from Australian equities. And that's like looking back uh, at this time last year, we thought you were going to have a negative expected return for Australian equities over the next ten years. So it's improved, but there's other areas that we think are even better. And and some of these areas you're not going to put your whole portfolio in. Uh, we think China equities, in particular Chinese tech stocks, are, are very interesting at this point in time. You know, Brazilian banks and miners or Brazilian aggregate we think is a good opportunity. Um, so we'd rather – Brazil's an interesting opportunity because we, we what we're thinking is, well, we'd rather – even taking into account emerging market risks and all those sorts of things, we'd rather own Brazilian banks and miners at this point – than potentially Australian banks and miners. doesn't mean we won't own any Australian banks and miners, but, you know, we want to have something there that we think we can generate a bit of, a bit better uh, uh, reward for our risk, owning some Brazilian banks and miners, for example. Um, we also think, you know, Europe's done very well just lately, um, but we, we did think at the start of this year that Europe was a good opportunity, and we think in the US we've got our highest weighting to the US that we've had for, for, for many years. 
um, at this point in time. We think the US is a reasonable opportunity, similar to Australia, but there's parts of the US market that we think are very attractive. And that would be areas like communication services and even some of their financial stocks as well, we think are, are very attractive at this point in time. And you're going to get a very, very uh, reasonable uh, expected return out of those parts of the market. Communication services, I should add, uh, uh, you know, you're specifically stocks like uh, Facebook and Google or, or Alphabet and Meta as they are as they are these days. Yeah, everyone gets very confused about communication services because yeah, everyone yeah. considers those tech stocks. That's right. But they're not actually in the technology sector. That's right. So. I think they used to, it's been about five years that they, they got shunted out of the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the IT Just sector. another thing to confuse exactly, investors, exactly. right? So, yeah. so you were one of the speakers at our conference, and I think you know this was sort of implied in, in what you were just talking about, but you gave this really interesting presentation. You were talking about valuation and talking about how valuation impacts future returns. And we do talk about that a lot on this podcast, but many investors do the opposite, mm -hmm. right? So many investors chase returns. And oftentimes, if you have outsized returns, you know some of that may be from earnings growth, some of that may be from dividends, but a lot of it's just from valuation increases. And so can you talk a little bit about how valuation plays into that? Because we try to make this point, right, that higher valuations could be lower expected future returns. Like, how does that work and how does that inform your investing process? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's actually central to everything we do. And, and I'd say that we, we see ourselves as having some, uh, because we have a fairly rigid you know, investment process or fairly structured investment process, we think that we have a behavioral edge over, over other investors. I mean, we don't think we can out-analyze a stock or do anything along those lines. We think, you know, we want to have a very systematic or, or, or structured process, not systematic process. There's discretion within it. But we want to make sure that we stick to that process, and that gives us a behavioral edge. So fundamentally, we believe that you need to be different to the crowd. Um, you need to look at valuations and, and do fundamental analysis and, and really have a contrarian mindset. And that's going to help you earn much better investment returns over the long term if you're doing things different to the crowd. And, and that's not just for the sake of being different, but we think that we really want to be buying assets when others are selling them or selling them when others are buying. And that's because we think that that's where mispricings occur. And when everyone's doing the same thing, um, invariably uh, you get this herding mentality as, as you were kind of describing. And you know, that then leads to these mispricings and we, we think, okay, well, now would be a time to sell an asset in, into that, that if, you're, if you're holding it or if on the other side of the fence, if everyone's super risk averse, then you want to be buying assets. And so what we try and do in those sorts of circumstances, are we wrong? Is everyone else right? And so I'll give a simple example that, that people might understand. We, we haven't actually done this piece of work specifically, but I thought it was a good, good example to, to give you. You know, if we if we think about Apple as a, as a stock and say it's currently priced at about $145, so we think, well, is that appropriate? Is that expensive? Is that cheap? We can do some, some, some work on that. But, but really, what are the assumptions that people are making buying Apple at $145? What kind of sales does it need to, to generate to deliver those kind, of, those kind of returns? How many iPhones does it need to sell? To, to deliver on that price into the future. And, and you think, well, is that realistic or is that not realistic? You know, we, we had a similar example on the other side of the fence when we, we owned some energy stocks after COVID and, you know, energy stocks were priced as though, you know, no one was going to fly or drive or anything ever again. And so we were thinking, well, is that likely? Um, 
and it could have been in COVID. There, there was a lot of uncertainty around then. Um, but we thought, well, let's assign a probability to that. And, and, and we thought the probability was probably reasonably low. So we could buy some cheap assets on the other side of the fence, not, again, doing the opposite of what the herd was doing. And, and then you lock in some pretty significant returns there. And on the other side of that trade, there was people buying Zoom and, and Peloton and things, that, thinking that they were going to be locked down forever and, you know, no one was going to go back into offices. And, and we thought that that got, you know, stretched to, to your example. So I, I guess we're not trying to be different just to, for different sake, but we think that that difference, being different, you can take advantage of mispricings. And, and we think that that's not a skill set that we should just have. Others can do the same. And, and, and when there's herding mentality, when there's these behavioural bias, biases that, that appear in the market, we tend to be, want to be on the other side of those. Yeah, and I think two of the really interesting things you said, you know, we we did an episode actually on edge and we went through the different pieces of edge that an investor can have. And the behavioral one I think is great because it's something that anyone can do, whether you are investing, it doesn't make it easy, Mm. but whether you are investing on your own, you can have behavioral edge, you know, whereas analytical edge is much harder, right? So analytical edge means that if you're a mom and dad investor, you have to be able to out-analyze all of the professionals that do this all day, every day, that have all the training. But yeah, yes. behavioral edge is a, is a great one. Yeah. And I think that, that as I say, that's, that's where our edge is. You know, I, I, as I said to start, we've got lots of smart people in my team. Um, but I also said throughout this podcast that there's lots of gray in investing. So it, the, the, the right answer is sometimes not even the right answer in, in, in financial markets. You've got to be humble. Yeah. And then the sort of second thing, and I think the Apple example is good, and also the energy during COVID example is good, is you know people need to understand that, of course, the market's looking forward, meaning expectations are baked into a share price. And I think people lose sight of that, right? And the higher the valuation level, the higher the expectations. And it isn't really how the company performs right on an absolute basis. It's how it performs compared to those expectations. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 Well, great, Matt. This was great. Thank you for coming on. Very helpful. I'm sure uh, I'm sure everyone will appreciate listening to this. So thanks for that. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Really appreciate it. Hopefully Absolutely. it was useful. Yeah, no, it definitely was. And thank you all for listening. So as we always say, my email address is in the show notes. We would love any comments you want to leave on your podcast app or ratings. And thank you very much for listening. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.